you know, my teenage daughters could face palm for Australia with some of the things that I say without any malice inadvertently. Oh, and, and I think between yours and mine, my, my two youngest and your two, I reckon we could have, um, you know, the the quad champions we, for eye rolling. <laughs> That's, you could <laughs> Synchronised it, eye rolling. If there was some way you could connect a generator to the eyes as they roll, <laughs> you could power a small town. Thanks to Cryer Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and on the other end, and the voice you will hear next, is Matt Kierkegaard. Matt. <laughs> Good morning, Prof. Did you realise that with over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt have been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts? Your premium brewing partner and proud supporters of Brews News. And I do, I do think that we, um, not for... 25 years, but certainly uh, in the same vein, um, you and I have been bringing uh, them the world's best local and imported news, views and opinion on the, the beer scene. Crime Alt wouldn't have happened to have uh, come back on as sponsors just in the last week, would they have, Prof? <laughs> oh, look, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's, for me, Matt, it's a, it's a little bit like nylon. I'm, I'm quite happy to wear it, but I have no idea how, it's, how it works. Uh, and, so well, I, don't, then, I don't see the invoices. I don't see the ins and outs. No. But yes... Thank you very much. You are for uncorrupted for, by the uh, by the by the grubby um, you know, <laughs> commerce that has to go on to keep this thing this hamster on the wheel. But uh, and and Chromold is actually sponsoring our hottest one hundred podcast. That um, listeners will this go out in time for Sunday? The, uh, oh yeah, you might actually be listening to the the weekly the uh, the Good Brews Week um, after. The hottest 100. So we'll, we'll work that out. We'll, we'll see. We, yeah, because I can't see how Because most people, I think, get get this. Um, so this is uh, episode 203. They'll be listening to this probably Monday morning. No, well, or public holiday. They'll be sleeping in. We, we need to have a bit of a chat about that. Um, our producer, Joe. And again, listeners, let us know. We might um, set up a Facebook group or a Facebook um, that you can sort of vote on. We love um, Joe. Because Joe's point was, it's the week's news. Why is it going out on a Monday? So she's actually suggesting that we record on a Thursday and then put it out first thing Friday morning. Um, so it's the end of the week rather than the start of the week. So listeners, if, if you've got strong views, you, you do have our producer at bruisenews.com.au. Um, prizes uh, courtesy of <laughs> yet another sponsor, um, our, our good friends at Beer Cartel. Um, we'll send you know, a letter of a week. Um, so if you send us a letter saying, yep, absolutely great idea, I'd rather be listening to the news on a Friday, let us know. But Prof, um, that, that's enough uh, in navel-gazing and looking at ourselves. What news are we talking about this week? Whenever we do it goes have a out, few stories, and in no particular order, except this is the way we're going to do them. Uh, we will be looking at uh, Brewdog, and their construction of their Brisbane brewery is finally underway. Uh, we'll be looking at B for Ballistic, and a change for a beer name for mental health. Um, another B... Brewers encouraged to consider cultural sensitivities. And B for boo, an Aussie bar is accused of mocking Maori culture in a beer fest advert. Uh, but let's start with Brewdog because that's, I guess, literally and metaphorically in your wheelhouse, Matt. Um, up your way, in your neighbourhood, things are happening. Yeah, look, well, they are finally. Um, and it's been a story they've been trying to sort of get to the bottom of since last October. Um, listeners will remember that we spoke to Martin Dickey, um, you know, February last year, so almost uh, 365 almost days ago. Um, and when they announced Brisbane as the venue, um, they had the site, they had Queensland government support. Um, in May, they, you know, the Brisbane City Council, um, who had been working closely with their top dog, Zara Pryor, um, uh, and was, you know, again, very supportive of the concept. Um, they were able to announce in May that they had council approval. Um, they were right to go. Construction was meant to start in July. Um, and beer was meant to be brewed first quarter. But they were talking about January, you know, now, um, as being the target date. And if you go to, if you Google Brewdog Brisbane, um, the Google My Business column on the right-hand side says opening January um, and construction only just started. So starting late last year, particularly after I'd seen a video that is linked to in the article um, that, that you'll see, um, James, Brewdog James, um, 
was speaking to a bunch of investors, um, equity investors, when they were talking about their blueprint. And he had a little interesting detail about the Australian brewery, their Brisbane brewery, that just yesterday there'd been a ceremony, their chief financial officer had been there, he had the hard hat and the high vis on, and they'd done a spade turning ceremony. So that was back in early October, and I contacted Queensland government to say, oh, this is interesting. I would have thought that there'd be, you know, brew dog, bang, brew dog, and, you know, hype isn't a stranger to them. <laughs> um, there was no ceremony, like there was no media, and they said, no oh. media release or anything. No response from the Queensland government. Flicked it on to um, Brewdog Brisbane. Uh, Brewdog Brisbane contacted me. So I said, oh, look, funny thing. There actually wasn't a ceremony. So you know, <laughs> who would have thought James would say something <laughs> that just didn't happen? Is it possible that he was operating under the premise that it had just gone ahead? And, you know, given that he's up there in Aberdeenshire, which is a long way from Brisbane, um, that maybe he just assumed. Well, that no, it possibly because again, maybe he was embellishing. Um, God forbid! No, I mean, Prudoc would never do that. But he said, "I saw photos yesterday of him." Do-. So he was actually saying, "I'm speaking from first-hand knowledge oh, of okay. this thing that happened yesterday." Um, but I contacted Brudog Brisbane. Nope, nope, didn't happen. Um, he misspoke. He was, uh, you know, th- there is talk about it happening. Um, there was a suggestion that it was going to take place at the end of last year. Nothing happened. I did get word just before Christmas that the forming works had started on the site, but nothing, you know, no ceremony had been taken had taken place. But there was expectation in government circles that I'd spoken to, um, who said that you know look, it's looking Martin Dickey, the other co-founder, you know, is going to be in Australia in January, and there's going to be a um, ceremony then. January has all but come and gone. And Martin Dickey posted to his social media account that he was in, uh, I think he visited uh, Little Creatures, so he was in Australia, admittedly five hours away, but he was in Australia, nothing happened. So um, anyway, um, can, that's all backstory. Um, they've now it's a, 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 yeah, said, yes, we have started. I actually went out to the site to see um, there is work going on. It's very, 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 very preliminary work, you know, ground has been flattened and things like that you know I, I would say that everything going swimmingly um we're still you know they're talking about um autumn 2019 launch um, northern hemisphere autumn well, or ours? Who, who, using that terminology certainly gives Covering them an hour it gives them six <laughs> it gives an extra six months buffer yeah so uh, so, uh, so what was the original time scale i don't know what is what does it take to, to, to build a big brewery is it like now. four no, okay, so is that like a four months construction? Is that four or six months that they, uh, you would allow? Well, this was a greenfield site. So like I actually thought at the time their six month, you know, just even everything going to schedule, six months was pretty ambitious. It was going to be tight for um, January. Yeah. Because, yeah, they, they've got everything to do. Um, and even with, you know, modern tilt slab construction, stuff like that, there's a lot to do. But then again, Brewdog aren't strangers to you know that they're not just a bunch of um you know mates who have gotten together and you know getting some stainless out of china and um you know doing Mm. it all for the first time they've done it before they've got good contacts with council you'd think that theirs would be going as quickly as possible there was a statement that was issued that i'll refer people to the um to the article to read that talked about you know it was just this gibberish so Matt, are you are you are you smelling a rat, or is it just they're just sort of covering their butts because the, for one reason or another, you know, the delays have come about. There's, there's nothing unto it. Like it's it's all happening. It's just just late. Look, all of these things are very very hard to dig into and find out more about. Um, the, the the actually the the one other thing I'll highlight is also um, Brewdog had three staff in Australia. They had uh, um, Zara. Um, for, who was their top dog, their you know director down here. They had a media person and then they also had a sales rep, um, sales manager. All three left um, fairly quickly in last quarter last year, so in the run-up to Christmas. So they don't have any staff here. Um, consequently, questions that are going to their local staff on the ground aren't being answered. Um, any information is coming out of Brewdog uh, Scotland, but again, you know, playing for, for people who, who love to court the publicity, being very, very uh, cagey about and not really directly answering questions except in corporatees, um, which seems very unpunk to me. But anyway, that's uh, so short answer. I don't know. Um, 
they did James was that, was that your short answer oh. <laughs> no was my short answer I, I, I don't know but apparently they are looking to Asia and there's some suggestion and James well not some suggestion James also announced in the same presentation that he said that a spade turning ceremony had taken place uh, uh, in Brisbane um, that they're looking at a partnership in China whether <laughs> their partnership in China is as tangible as their shovel turning ceremony, um, I don't know. Mind you, in the same presentation, he did he did very graphically describe this beautiful riverfront location, which their location is. But then he also talked about the city cats in in Brisbane that sort of you know ply up and down the river. And our site is fantastic because we're right on the river, and we've got a city cat terminal at our doorstep. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise there was a city cat terminal there. It's a place to have a city cat terminal. There's nothing there yet. Um, and when I looked, you know, five kilometres is the nearest city cat terminal on the same side of the river. Um, so he misspoke about that. So who knows? Before we move on, and we will move on, heard a little whisper along the grapevine wire of birds that um, felons are getting a terminal. Yes, well, that, that was announced. Uh, and that, that was when I sort of started think, you know, thinking, well, maybe BrewDog um, have negotiated their own terminal um, that James was pre-announcing. So, you know, my putting on my uh, fedora with the press hat in, I, I, I sniffed a story. And, but it, it, you, it just wasn't. You young Jimmy Olsen, you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i got to get the story, boss. But there, there, there wasn't. But then, you know, um, w- w- within a week, um, Fallon's announced that, yeah, but they're, it, they're paying for it. So they're go- they've got to bear the cost of developing it. And there will yeah, be no, a... I, I only said that because I was, I was speaking to Ash Cranston um, when the building was, was just but a shell. Um, was the last time I was up there, um, and we were sort of because there was there were piling works sort of going in. Um, I think unrelated. That was Mr. Percival's, um, which is the Over River Bar. Yeah, yeah, and so and I was sort of saying, oh, it was so much happening here. Surely, um, you know, you'd you'd want to have a you know because I thought it'd be great to have like a I don't know what the water equivalent of a drive through. Is sort of you know, we can come through, <laughs> grab a schooner on, a, on your way. A boat ramp. Well, no, yeah. we encourage uh, responsible boating. Um, no, but course, no, no, well, for the, the passengers, for the passengers. I, um, but yeah, the, I, I interviewed yeah. Tom and Tom Champion and Ash Cranston yesterday um, for beer as a conversation that'll be going out in a fortnight's time. Um, and I didn't ask them about that, but. Given the cost, like from memory, like there was multi-million dollar cost involved in getting a a ferry terminal built, given they do not have the capacity to make enough beer on site, like they're not pouring, they've got that big riverfront site, they ran, completely ran out of their own beer over Christmas. They, um, I don't think Mr. Percival's, which is the bar that's right next to the brewery, is even pouring their beer because they can't keep up with demand. I think... The last thing that they want is a ferry terminal that is bringing more people, more people to that to site to, to, drink their to drink their beer. Um, yeah, so so maybe they'll take those couple of million and invest in tanks because uh, yeah, um, teasing the, the the chat with them, they've already bought um, some more tanks, which they bought from our good friends at Brew Partners. You know our uh, our little friends who have got oh, that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that and, and, and which is, seems to be another vaporware brewery, another brewery that. Lots of social media saying construction has started, and I called into there. Did you just invent another term, a pop culture term? Uh, well, no, vaporware. Vaporware. Um, oh, that goes back That's to... That's not a Phil Cookism, is it? No, 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 that goes back to... Because it's pretty hard to top brand wank. Yeah, yeah, brand wank and uh, keg tetris. Keg tetris. Um, but no, vaporware goes back to um, gaming. Um, and, you know, when game developers for computer games would hype a, a game that just never came out. And I think Duke Nukem was one of the be- you know, was one of the ones that was, here's me showing my age. Um, so, yeah, so it's just a term that I've borrowed um, from another industry and uh, lost a whole lot of our younger readers ago. That's not a gaming term, um, old man. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so, so it was interesting that, um, yeah, I, I did call into Brew Partners because Ash Cranston uh, was on the hunt for tanks urgently before Christmas and uh, suddenly Brew Partners, which is apparently meant to be starting a brewery as well, um, sold off some, you know, posted to his uh, social media that he'd helped uh, felons by selling them some tanks. But I didn't realise he was in the tank 
selling business. So, but given his own brewery doesn't seem to be rising out of the ground yet, maybe he was. Uh, well, maybe he sold off the tanks that don't have a home yet. Yeah, exactly. But he would, maybe, maybe he's walking the walk and talking the talk, and you know the whole community brewery kind of thing. I'll, I'll shoot him an email. Um, again, I, I shouldn't say that he doesn't reply to my emails when I haven't sent him an email about that, but I will. But anyway, that, that wasn't on the show notes, but I'll uh, add it to the show notes. Um, and that's Brewdog. All right. Now, moving on, we might um, have a look at um, an issue that, that popped up. And uh, people who have visited uh, Gabs in the early days will probably, may not know Steph Coots, but um, they may well have um, dealt with her handiwork. She was responsible for corralling the um, the volunteer army in the early days of Gabs. Um, and I'm pretty sure the connection is that she had done it with um, for Biavana, for David Cryer. Um, who also happens to be a sponsor of this fine podcast. And Steph uh, contacted Megan. I sent a media release into all of us just sort of saying, yeah. Would, would you, yeah, is this something that you guys would discuss? Yeah, yeah. And so basically uh, Waitangi Day, which, look, without uh, disrespecting either, I guess is the, it's the New Zealand equivalent of Australia Day. It's, it's like the, the national day of, of, of celebration and it celebrates the – the Treaty of Waitangi. Which, which makes will, it automatically a little bit different to a to Australia to, Day and the discussion exactly. around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but as in it's the it's the universal day of celebration that is set aside as the, the public holiday for, you know, this this is this is just about us. This yep. is just about yep. Kiwis. But as far as my um, Maori knowledge goes, that was about it, um, how to pronounce it properly, because um, Craig Bowen, who's probably, again, well-known to um, a lot of people over here, uh, but probably not personally, who basically administers, looks after the, the nuts and bolts of um, both the AIBA um, beer award judging and also the Indies uh, beer award judging um, in terms of uh, chief steward uh, looking after all that sort of stuff. He sort of taught me through how, the, how to pronounce the, the, the five vowels in, in, the, in the Maori language. So, and I'm, so I'm going to have a go. Um, is it ta, ta moko, I think, is the... Um, like the face tattoo. I'm having a crack at what I think is the, the correct pronunciation. Either we're, way, we're doing the, our best the listeners. Ceremony, is, is the it's point. A, yeah, it's like a, a it's, it's traditional, it's cultural, um, and it's unique, which is the one th- that's, that's the thing I didn't realize. I, I sort of thought, I oh, it's kind of like you know, I don't know, like wearing your um, like your club colors, like you know, your your 4x Maroons top, and 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 so you look around and you see everyone else who is you know part of your inverted commas clan. Um, I actually saw, yeah, look, and again, the, the little that, that I know about it is that it's kind of like um, it's it's showing your you know, it, it brings in so much, it, it, it's things that you're proud of, it brings in your clan, it brings in where you're from, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's genealogy, it's history, it's experience, it's all those sorts of things, you know, and, and I, I presume in the old days. Um, it, it was, you know, like the mark of a warrior. It was, you know, I don't know, either who you defeated or who you represented or, you know, whatever it might be. The reason that it comes up, yep. um, I, I, you know, I, again, I sort of don't want to get too deeply um, into read, to that element. Read the story, folks. Because, yeah, well, there, there's, there's a lot of um, background, and if you're interested, um, go find it. But the, the reason that this came up this week was there was a story, Aussie bar accused of mocking Maori culture with the use of the Talmoko uh, in Beer First advert. And uh, Freddie Wimple, Wimples in Melbourne did a poster that had a photo of Freddie Wimple, who the, the bar is named after, former mayor of um, St Kilda, St Kilda um, with sporting uh, Talmoko. Um, now... For, for so me, it was photoshopped. It wasn't, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was, photo, it was photoshopped. So they, they'd mocked up a, a thing con- combining the two, Waitangi Day and Freddie Wimpole, after whom the bar is named. Yep. Now, for, for me, again, I'd up until I'd seen this story, I'd not done, I knew nothing about it other than it was a tattoo. I'd not put any greater thought into what it stood for and what it represented other than it was part of a culture. Um, and I, I would imagine a lot of Australians would be the same. Um, and they would just sort of associate it as a, you know, like a kiwi or a silver fern or something along those lines, just something that you can do to capture the spirit of New Zealand um, to promote something that is ultimately about celebrating New Zealand. Um, yeah. Easily, easy waters to wade into inadvertently. Um, and I, to, to me, it's the way that we respond to that sort of thing that determines the outcome of it and in, in this case i actually find that the new zealand herald article that we've linked to is a little bit ungenerous um or the the, the quote that they use um because i don't know that this freddie wimpole's um was mocking maori culture 
appropriating um, and you know yes um, and the appropriateness of you know comes down to the intention um, to, to me and you know obviously when you dig a little bit deeper and understand the relevance of this um, uh, tattoo I, I you know to me um, I sort of think well yeah it, it, it is inappropriate um, appropriation of something that is quite sacred or you know quite important culturally and sensitive um, to the culture and but give us get in contact say look you know did you know this we're really really sorry take it down end of story everybody's learned you know even if you sort of celebrate it you know and sort of talk about the story so other people learn really positive result um, and so that's what Steph Coots got in touch with us about um, to let us know that you know I know that not everyone's aware of this it was a really nicely worded um, post just of saying maybe you should be aware that this is the symbolism this is what it is. Um, but of course, as soon as we ran the story, um, you start getting the clowns. You know, as soon as I see someone say snowflake, um, you know, I just, it, it just shows where they're coming don't, from. Don't tell me you get triggered. Oh, no, well, yeah, listen to that. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, like, and the predictable responses, and I, I don't even have it in front of me, but it was somebody who is Coldstream Guardsman on Twitter. Um, or something along those lines. And, and to, to be honest, with the history of the Coldstream Guards, I don't know that you want to um, have that. But anyway, you know, and I wanted to get, you know, straight away, you're the typical, um, you know, uh, snowflake. Soft. And yeah. When you look at his Facebook feed, it was all aggressive um, blokiness and, you know, knocking anything that is vaguely um, sympathetic to anything that's culturally um, sensitive. And I just sort of like, I, I, I could just tell that there was no point in engaging with him about it. But I would have loved to have asked him, you know, like you, you, you're obviously, you, you're sporting all of these military um, links on your site. Your name is taken from the military. How would you feel if somebody who had never served took to warring the Victoria Cross? Um, because, you know, just sort of thinking of something that is sacred and relevant and to, to somebody with his interests, but only gets you know it's just a piece of metal whose only um symbolism comes from the history and the values that we put on the the sacrifice and the bravery and everything that comes with that and i just would have been it but i could just tell that it wasn't it was interesting but to me that's that's what it is um you know prof you know it's one of those it's just a matter of respect um and it takes nothing away from somebody if we don't use the tamoko on our advertising so why does it get so much uh of a negative reaction. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would I'd like to look at the positive of it that um, we've all, I guess, learned something that we would not otherwise have learned had Freddie Wimpole's not decided not to take down their marketing. I, I didn't actually see how quickly they did it or with, if there was any... I mean, it was the reaction from Peanuts commenting that I saw was the angry, ugly, negative response, but I didn't see what Freddie Wimpole's um, response was. Yeah, yeah, no, don't know. Well done to Steph because I, and I, I did say that she sort of posted that, um, I think on our site perhaps, um, or maybe it was her own Facebook page, that she'd sort of inadvertently, you know, like become the accidental spokesperson. Um, but uh, as I say, that, that shows, I guess, the, the you know, the, the power of social media for, for, you know, when we use it for goodness rather than for evil. But, <laughs> well, and, but along the same lines, we've, we've also got the story from Ballistic where they changed um, – their you know, Australian psycho or their, their, their psycho IPA. Boy, did we get some response to that, Matt, on the Australian Brews News Facebook but, page. But very, very similar. And, and suddenly, you know, you get people sort of saying, you know, talking about, oh, this is pointless. This is, um, what's the term? Virtue uh, signaling. Virtue signaling. Um, and now, now just, just to put this in context, because uh, I'm not aware of, it, it wasn't, there weren't complaints. They decided to change the name of their psycho ipa which was named after i know, don't think it was like death from above you know uh the, the death from above where there had actually well, even been death from above active yeah, complaints that, that, well no there, there were active complaints yeah I, I think there had been you know just conversations about you know what psycho means these days you know once upon a time you know if there was a kid that sort of didn't run fast you called him retard we don't do that anymore and i think psycho is you know one of those terms that you know with the focus on mental illness um they thought oh maybe it's not the best name it, it is, it's certainly not communicating what we wanted it to communicate and maybe it's not the best name um uh for what we do and and i'll be honest um a couple of times i've looked at using um ballistic beers uh, at events 
And I sort of think, well, maybe that's not the beer I'll use because that's not, um, you know, a, a name. And it was more than just the psycho, the, the harshness and the sort of connotation of psycho rather than any, you know, mental health um, awareness. Maybe that's not what I want to take beer to a broader community. So, yeah, there, there was some sensitivity around you know, There was some thought around it, but no complaints. Yeah. So so they, they made the decision, we're going to change the name and then all the open the floodgates on Pandora's can of hornet's worms. Yeah, well, it, but, on the social medias. But again, it shouldn't have been. I mean, look, Prof. You know, as we joke, you know, you and I are you know middle-aged white men of a certain age. Um, you know, my teenage daughters could face palm for Australia with some of the things that I say without any malice. Inadvertently. Oh, and, and I think between yours and mine, my, my two youngest and your two, I reckon we could have um, you know the the quad. Champions for <laughs> eye rolling. <laughs> That's, you could synchronized it, eye rolling. If there was some way you could connect a generator to the eyes as they roll, <laughs> you could power a small town. Um, and yeah. and that's the thing. But you know, again, my, my daughters know that you know. And some of the best discussions I have with my seventeen-year-old daughter um, that you know, it's almost a bonding experience where we talk about some of these issues that just weren't at all relevant when I was their age. Um, no, and. Uh, and, and getting their perspective and trying to sort of come um, and, and when you do it with good faith as you do with your daughter it's a really enlightening experience but then when something like this goes live on social media you get all of the peanuts and as soon as you see you know on one hand you see people using words like triggering and you use people um, you know using words like um, virtue signaling or snowflake or you know soy you know sipping whale vegan hugger all of those sorts of things but then on the other side, the response isn't to try and engage and try and talk about the issue. The response is, you know, this is a great example of toxic masculinity, which to my way of thinking, you know, it absolute problem in exactly the same way. But throwing around words like toxic masculinity does upset a whole lot of people who consider don't consider themselves like that. And it, 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 it's not a way of engaging and it's, it's a way of making people shut down. Um, and, you know... As I say, Prof, you know, when you're trying to find a middle ground, when both sides are lobbing grenades, um, you know, the middle ground isn't the place to be. So how about everyone shows a little bit more respect to, to some of these things um, and, and, and actually try and engage in ideas rather than typifying anybody that is grappling with some of these issues as, you know, a Neanderthal, you know, um, toxic man or and anyone who actually wants to think about mental health and cultural awareness isn't you know necessarily you know a vegan activist there are two sides to to each story words and we discussed this off air and we've we've said it a million times before you know w words can hurt but yeah you know, words have lots of different meanings and at the end of the day if you want to if you wish to if you choose to ascribe a meaning to a word and then decide and then get all bent out of shape about it that's that's on you not me yeah but and look and there's a lot of seeing words and sometimes they are like as i said sometimes they can be used quite inadvertently you know sort of in that meaning but quite inadvertently of, of the offense that it causes i do love the um the, the to and fro and i like where people um you know put a counter opinion but don't call each other's names. No, let, 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 let's just all work on being better people. And, and that's both that's sides. It. Because, you know, like, yeah, there were some really sort of ridiculous, ugly things. You know, I, I thought both of these initiatives were very, very positive and should be supported and applauded. And there was a lot of, you know, scorn being poured by people who obviously don't like anything, you know, that they see as a greeny left, hip, you know, vegan agenda. Um, and I didn't see it. Yeah, I, I didn't agree with them changing the name because I thought, well, there's, there's, there's just no, there's, there is no need to. Oh, really? Um, oh, okay. I, I mean, and, I, and other people can say, oh, there's definitely a need to. And I, I, I said, that's fine. That's that, great. Let's have a beer and uh, move on. And talk about it. But look, again, even if you just did it because it's good for you. Anyway, um, but look, I, I will say that, yeah, look, it, there were some ridiculous, you know, um, ugly comments made um, in response to us posting that ad. But then I saw some people who really should know better who were pro these initiatives just being provocative trying to get a reaction that confirms their own, you know, view of the world. And it, none of that is trying to find, um, you know, ultimately we want to be trying to sort of find middle ground. Actually, the biggest thing for me, Prof, is you know, I, I actually love being called a snowflake because my, my, my daughters would never, ever see me in that way. In, in, in fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> 
So anyway, but um, Prof, uh, okay, so th- 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 that's the news for the week, um, and it's, it's sort of already gone much longer than we expected. But there was a you know a bit of meat on those bones. Um, a couple of letters. And the letter of the week is sponsored by our very good friends at Beer Cartel. And the letter that we decide is going to be the letter of the week. And we do have a few this week, so that it's, it is actually a fair of competition. Um, we'll receive a six-pack of Australian independent beer from our friends at Beer Cartel. And we do thank them very much for their support. And thank you to some of our listeners. You know who you are. I'm not going to read your uh, letters of saying, hey, guys, I think my six-pack has gone missing again. Um, because it didn't go missing, it was at our end, and then also Beer Cartel was very, very busy because of the success of their uh, Christmas campaign with the... Um, uh, their beer event, beer, beer calendar? Yeah, so uh, so listeners, they are coming. If you don't get it, please don't hesitate to remind us, and uh, we now have people um, awaiting your calls, and I mean that quite literally. But anyway, uh, letters of the week. Okay, uh, letters of the week. Um, I'll kick off with the first one because it is uh, relevant because on Sunday you will be listening to us live, hopefully, or... So, sorry, yesterday you would have listened to us live as we count down uh, the 2019 Gab's Hottest 100. Hi, Matt and Prof. I enjoyed your discussion in episode 201 about strategies for listing or not listing beers in the Hottest 100. A few of my favourite beers from 2018 were seasonal limited releases, and although they were excellent, I knew they didn't have the distribution to get anywhere near the top 10. As a fan of facts and figures, I'd also love to see more voting stats. Uh, example, the total number of votes going to a brewery versus a specific beer or how a local brewery with limited distribution ranked within their state. Here's hoping you can convince Steve Jeffers to work on this holiday project. The people want to know, exclamation mark. Uh, cheers. And that's from Jen S. And so Jen will get in contact and get your postal address because that's the letter of the week. Because um, the, other, <laughs> the others have, I think, uh, one previous letters of the week um, as regular not that correspondence. You're not necessarily precluded. You're not you can, precluded. You can win again, but, you know, we want to share the love. We, 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 and th- this was a great um, letter. So it stands alone on, in terms of quality. Um, that, that's right. And I will be speaking to Steve, and I, I think we'll probably – I don't know. The... I don't know that that's possible for a couple of reasons. This year they are going to talk about the number of votes, which they've not talked about in the past. But the problem is that if you know the number of votes an individual – brewery gets to get to a certain position then you pretty much know how much work you need to do if you want to try and find a way to game the system i would have thought yeah um, and steve steve jeffers has from day one uh always held those cards very close to his chest for that very reason because he, he particularly in the early days when there were far fewer votes um in total it was then easier yeah it took to could could swing a beer either you know out of the top 100 into the top 100 50 into the top 10 um, or from the, in the top 10 to the top five. Yep. Uh, so th- that information has always been very closely guarded and for good reason. Um, but it's more, and I think what Jen's referring to is the, the comment I made that it'd be great to see, you know, sort of like a, a bit of an algorithm or a formula that shows, you know, how a brewery does overall. Because at the end of the day, a brewery with good distribution, it, the, the figures have shown, you've got to have a good beer. It's got to be consistently good. It's got to be reasonably widely available um and you've got to promote it well you've you've because it's it's more than just the beer sometimes you are voting for that brewer's a top bloke i you know i love his beers so there may be a bit of a, a halo effect i'd love to see um and i think this is what jim was getting at how breweries with more beers in their range in their core range for example uh you know inverted commas disadvantaged than you know somebody who's got a single brand or or two because you can just put a post out and say vote for ABC Brewery knowing that the all the votes you get are going to be shared between two beers. Whereas if you say vote for um, XYZ Brewery and we've got you know seven in our core range and five or ten other regular beers that are really good, you you know that you're very rarely going to get a chance of getting in the top. So that's that's well, a, and and that's thing we'll have to discuss that on the weekend once we see because like, there were a couple last year who I think Bolter had five in last year um, and still managed to get number one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, there's there's an exception that proves every rule, and that's that's where your you know hype squared over blah blah blah. Take away the first number you thought of. There's a lot to um you know to, to getting your beer in the in the top ten. Anyone who gets their beer in the top two hundred should be should feel very proud because when you look at the the total number of individual uh, beers available out on the market. Um, to garner that sort of sport, magnificent. Mm. Uh, we've got another letter. Oh, well, we've got another two. So, yeah, um, 
the, the, the next is, one this is, this is a bit on you this is just a, like a, a bit of a thank you hey guys glad to see you making use of Zencaster that's what we recorded with last week um, thanks for the thanks and that's uh, Evan whose name didn't immediately spring to mind Evan OB told us, yeah must I that reckon sounded... Evan, I missed, Evan was one we missed uh, getting a chance to chat to um, at, when we did the live one during Sydney Beer Week. Yes. He was one of, the, one of the punters who came along. Yes. I think, I'm pretty sure it's the same one. I think that might be right. Um, must that sounded pretty good for the whole show. Now, we're back to recording with um, Skype in Hindenburg this week, only uh, for a couple of reasons technical behind that, um, but Zencaster is one of the ones that we are looking at. Um, and you also can't make phone calls out using Zencaster. Um, to people's mobiles and not everyone has a great mobile phone uh, not everyone has a great microphone on their computer and so mobile phone or microphones are much better these days to provide a better audio quality so anyway um, as for the Moondog recall I did get an email from Dan Murphy's advising it uh, but it was too late was already consumed but did explain why it didn't taste as good as last time I had it um, like the idea for the Gab show I'll be listening with a good cheese platter and, and Australia's finest <laughs> um, thanks Evan yeah and uh, do you want to take the next one from another regular correspondent, uh, Daniel Reed? I shall do. Hi, Pete, Matt and team. Having attended the Ballarat Beer Festival recently, I got to thinking about the wineries featured this year. According to a local media article, which he has very kindly linked to and, and that I had read, uh, those exhibitors felt they were well received, as did the cideries. On the one hand, I'm all for tearing down the silos and promoting an environment where beer, wine and cider, etc., can coexist. I love a wine as well as the occasional cider, so long as it's not made from carbonated water and fruit concentrate. The us-versus-them attitude seems to be one that most producers would rather get away from, particularly creators of sour and wild beers, which deserve a place alongside wine as a beverage which can complement a meal just as well, if not better. However, does the presence of alternatives to beer hinder the potential to introduce new people to beer? With no alternatives, those trotting out the old adage, I don't drink beer, might be influenced to take the plunge and discover that beer can be so much more than the flavourless swill from the duopoly that they probably tried uh, when they pinched one of Dad's tinnies as a teenager many years ago. Uh, you could make the case that people choosing to drink wine and cider may not have come at all if they weren't available. Good point. I'm sure in some cases that's true, but I'm confident there were a few who were dragged along by a friend or a partner or perhaps just wanted to enjoy the social aspect with a group of friends. With the right encouragement and guidance, anyone can be uh, steered to a beer that suits their tastes. Uh, and with much wider variety of beer styles on offer this year, this would be as challenging as it might have been a few years ago. Beer festivals aren't just a dank sea of 70 IBU IPAs anymore. If Beer Cartel's Craft Beer Survey is an accurate guide, the Ballarat Beer Festival is one of the best craft beer festivals in the country. It's polling better than some beer festivals in capital cities. Uh, it has more potential than most to introduce newcomers to good beer. I wonder if there were some missed opportunities. Thank you. Uh, P.S. It was my intention to seek out Pete and introduce myself, but somewhere along, uh, somewhere among all the white foamy bubbles and the 70 IBU IPAs, I forgot. No worries, Daniel. Um, we were a bit hard to find too because uh, Kiralee and I, the beer diva, we were um, doing our regular beer masterclasses, which we've uh, well, I've been doing them for uh, seven out of the eight Ballarat Beer Festivals, and Kiralee's joined me the last two years. Um, it's we, we were out, outside the festival ground, so it was, it was a little bit hard to find us um, anyway. But yeah, what do you think, Matt? Is it a broad church? Do you need to have beer, wine, and cider at a beer festival? Cider is kind of snuck in under the radar early doors anyway because a lot of breweries would have a cider on tap or a cider available anyway, yeah. but, but breweries wouldn't have a wine. Um, look, commercial realities, um, and it might be worth chatting to Rick Dexter about uh, once the, you know, the, he's had a, a chance to take a breath again um, because there's a lot that goes into organising uh, any beer festival, particularly the Ballarat Beer Festival. There's uh, 3,500-odd people, beautiful sunny day, um, the vibe was absolutely magnificent. The demographic was broad. Uh, there were kids in prams. It was a dog-friendly, which I think is the first the first one I've been to. So as long as your dog was um, people-friendly, dog-friendly, and on a lead, you were able to, to bring your dog. Um, uh, shout out to Mick House from uh, from Hawker's Beer, who took home some, um, some spent grain from the brewery, uh, mixed it up with some peanut butter and some other bits and pieces and uh, cookie-cutted them, baked them, and made little dog treats out of, out of spent grain. <laughs> Great idea, but yeah, no, yeah. Look, profits. It's one of those. We, we've talked a lot about beer festivals in the past and whether they've had their day. Um, and as more and more you know, craft beer specific venues, particularly ones with ever changing tap lineups, yeah. um, come up, the beer festival 
to, you know, as my observations over the last 20, 25 years of going to beer festivals, um, you know, from the early 90s, they were to cater to people because there was no nowhere you could access these beers from these breweries other than at a beer festival. Other than a festival, yeah. Great way to, yep. to, to, to do it. And that's probably um, the biggest the biggest single step change. Yeah, and, and so these days there are so, like, even when you walk into BWS and the, the big chain, you know, supermarket shopping centre, you can sort of get a great range of craft beer. Um, so that aspect of beer festivals is probably, you know, the trial and engagement is a lot less important. And when you speak to the industry, they're really being choosy about what choiceful um about what more, more choiceful <laughs> about what um you know festivals that they go to and also um you know festivals are finding a little bit harder to make the numbers work because there are fewer brewers there and you know, all of these things so th- there's a whole lot of complex dynamics at play um and i also take a step back that i still resent going to see you know like a great food festival um that calls itself a food and wine festival um you know because it, it, it elevates wine above all of the other things. And, um, you know, so beer isn't mentioned and, you know, it's almost a poor cousin. And that's, again, going back to when beer didn't even feature at these things. So, you know, I, I, I think beer is still, a, you know, a declining market share. Beer is still um, declining volume. Um, the more that we can encourage people to go along and go to a festival that has good beer and hopefully... They will, you know, somebody will go up. As we see at the exhibition every year, Prof, the number of, um, you know, this is an observation. It's not a statement of, uh, you know, who drinks. But the number of um, people, uh, couples who come up, the wife almost pushes the husband forward, saying, go on, Dale, have a, you know, try try some of that, but stands back because she's not a beer drinker. And we make an effort to sort of say, oh, why don't you come up and try something as well? And last year we had great success with the um, Black Pink Ops, Mist. Um, yeah, the Saison, the, the Raspberry the Saison. Saison. The raspberry Saison. Um, again, I, I mean, I, I feel a bit conflicted about saying that women will only drink a pink beer, but it, that's not what it's about. But it's a beer that when as soon as they try, it tastes unlike anything that they've ever had um, in the beer world. And it had a really high way of engaging them. And once they try that, then they'll sort of start trying a, a range of other what, things. What else have you got? So, yeah, yeah so, so um, again, long answer short. I, look, I, I think if you can get um, – if the one person who doesn't drink beer says, I don't want to go to the Ballarat Beer Festival, then the family or the group of, you know, three or four friends or, you know, the, the five or six couples may not go at all because, you know – that one person is not going to be catered to and they're going to have such a bad time that they this big group doesn't go. Um, so I think yeah, if you I, give... I think beer, beer festivals do need, in the same way that they have evolved over the last, um, you know, 10 years that I've been going to them, um, we need to keep evolving um, yep. to stay relevant. You need to, to offer other forms of entertainment. You need to um, offer distractions from just going around and, and drinking. Um, and and give people a, a value for money kind of proposition. Yep. And for for me, like to keep your eye on the prize, uh, beer drinkers. We love beer. That's our preferred drink. But we want a healthy, vibrant industry that has more people coming to it. To you know, whether it's their only drink, their drink of choice, or just something that is in a portfolio of things that includes wine and spirits and a whole range of other things. And yeah, if we can include it, um, and just one thing I will say, and I don't mean to sort of call um, uh, Daniel uh, out on this because it's something that we're all guilty of. Um, but when you read out his article um, and talked about uh, you know, where there was flavorless yep. swill, flavorless swill from the duopoly. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know that swill. It, it's very low flavor. It's, it's more about refreshment than you know highlighting the ingredients. So yeah, flavorless is a fair. But you know, calling it swill is a little bit. You know, it, it's a. Place Are you that attaching I've come more to. more words to meanings to words, Matt, that don't perhaps exist there? Well, well, swill, I just thought is just words just are mass, powerful. Mass. Prof. Words actually produced. are powerful. And but if you, swill has a certain meaning, it's a, it's very um, deprecating. And I don't think you can argue that because swill isn't. It's not terribly made beer it's it's got the highest production qualities it's just not 
flavour forward. Um, and you know, but I, if you if you swill something, it just means it's it's boom, it's just you're knocking them back. Uh, no, no. Well, see, that's the thing. But it's it's you, you swill something that has no inherent character um, that makes it worth appreciating. Um, had a yeah. re- really great chat yesterday with um, Robin Otway from. Uh, Brooklyn um, for an upcoming beer as a conversation as well, and that was one of the things we talked about about words. And Garrett Oliver makes a point of saying that you know um, the difference in England, the, the difference between eat and dine. You know, dine comes from French and it connotes a higher purpose, whereas eating is just everyday. You know, getting food in your face. It's a process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's I mean that's a really powerful thing. And so when you when you start using words like swill or you swill something down you assign a value to the thing that you're consuming. You know, if, if you imbibe, that's different from swilling, even though the pro, you're describing the same act. So, yeah, so it, 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 I just sort of think that we, we need to be careful about the way that we describe the, the mainstream beers because more and more I am seeing people who feel intimidated by entering the world of beer because they think that their choice will be judged. Um, and, you know... There's a, there's a whole lot of discussion about um, economics and market control and market behaviour, but to, to call it swill, I think it actually diminishes a product that you know um, a lot of our listeners make um, some very commercial beers, and uh, I, you know I, I don't think it's fair to sort of say that they're swill makers. Fair enough. But again, but apart from that, beer festivals, yeah. Look, um, the do you know? Area, do you know, Matt? Do you know who doesn't make swill? Who doesn't make swill? And that uh, that is a growing band of um, beer producers whose wares may be available at, I'm going to say, not it's not the inaugural, but it's certainly the uh, rebranded and refreshed Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show Beer Awards. Nicely done there, Prof, yes. Yeah. Um, that is an event that we're both uh, involved in, and, and uh, Phil Sharp, the convener, is uh, a regular listener to the show. But yes, um, now, beer festivals isn't something that we normally um, sort of talk too much about um yeah and we normally but this is a very beer festivals very, or beer awards a uh, beer awards sorry beer festivals we talk about uh, at, all the time uh, yeah all the time just, um, just did exactly um but no beer awards so queensland is getting its own uh, beer awards again um and listeners we, we've had great support from queensland breweries but this awards is unique yes you get some shiny bling if your beer is good enough as judged by the expert panel um but there is also, you you can go into the running to win a $5,000 bursary to fund industry growth and development. Um, so I, I think the grand champion, the brewer of the grand champion wins a $5,000 bursary that you can send staff off to the Craft Brewers Conference in, in the US. You can pay for their... Um, fees to you know, for, for the next round of uh, university study. But you've, you've got a bursary that funds your brewery. And I don't know of any other awards in Australia that you can win hard cash that you can put into uh, such a, a noble thing. So quite apart from having your beers judged by some of the best palates in the country, because there will be people from uh, not just Queensland, uh, but further afield, but you can also and get some trophies and some bling for your bottles. You can also win some cold, hard currency. Uh, entries close. Friday the 8th of February for more information or enter at www.rqfws.com.au and uh, the link will be in the show notes, uh, which you'll be on your, in your phone or on your computer. Yeah, looking forward to um, to being part of that. I'll be sort of looking after the, the back of house area. It, it's been, uh, from my memory, eight or ten years since the Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show has had beer awards. No, I think it's only Green Beacon was was entered um, the oh, last okay. time it was on, um, and so they've just cel- they're celebrating their sixth birthday. So I'd imagine okay. that. So it's, it's been a few years since it's been since, a few years since it's been on since they've had it. Uh, so great opportunity to to support it. Um, I think it's the only state that hasn't had um, an annual beer awards, uh, and with everything we've spoken about. Um, the, the kudos, the um, physical awards, the hype, the you know mainstream exposure that Queensland breweries have been garnering over the last uh, five years or so, um, it, it's it's well over well overdue and well done to to Phil Sharp and his crew for um, 
getting the right people in the right positions, um, speaking to the brewers and saying, okay, why didn't it work before? What was wrong with it? What do we need to do? Um, and, uh, you know, in the words of our good friends at CUB, we've heard you and uh, we're making changes. Queensland brewers have obviously supported their home competition. Um, lots of uh, breweries on the East Coast um, and also the West Coast. Um, there's been a lot of focus on Queensland as a bit of a craft beer powerhouse. Um, we've got a couple of, you know, Green Beacon, Bolter, um, Black Hops have been winning uh, champion uh, logos we've had, and also um, Moffat Beach. Um, so there's a lot of incentive. This isn't just some dinky little thing. If you if you enter your beers and uh, you can topple some of the four quality powerhouses, then I reckon that's some bragging rights apart from $5,000. But Prof, the one thing that will not be judged at the Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show is the uh, they, they don't have a label uh, competition, but if they did, I'm pretty sure that some of the entries that came from Rallings labels and stickers uh, might do very well. What do you reckon? Seamless, Matt, that was. <laughs> Seamless. No, we do thank Rallings Labels and Stickers for sponsoring uh, our podcast. Um, just call Rallings. Their number is 1300 852 235. And you may discover a more efficient way to get your small batch canning labels done. And they might win an award at next year's Royal Queensland. Exactly. And free up some uh, of that hard working capital um, because of the way that they work with you. To, you don't need to use them all at once. They'll hold your cans and send them out as you want to fill them. So uh, Rallings, great supporters and great listeners. They're, they're, they're um, uh, you know, digging back through our back catalogue of shows, as can you, dear listener. Yeah, don't don't listen in reverse order, though, because we get worse. Like, <laughs> go back about a year and then listen in order as and, we get and see how we improve. <laughs> so they're like, oh, God, they're getting worse. Well, no, we didn't. We improved. say that, but, you know, we're coming up to... Yeah, to again, to again, that's, that's subjective. I'm, I'm ascribing a meaning to the words that I just used that others may disagree with. Uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners. Thank you very much to all of our sponsors and supporters. But most importantly, thank you to you, the brewers, who... Like at the end of the day, you make the product that uh, gives us something to talk about. And for that, we are eternally and very, very genuinely grateful for. I'm Pete Mitchum. I have been your host. The other bloke there was Matt Kierkegaard. And we look forward to seeing you all over a beer, virtual or real, in the very near future. Thanks very much, Matt. Looking forward to seeing you on Sunday, Prof. Or yesterday, if this goes live, Monday or whenever this goes live, thanks to our great producer, Joe. That's it, IRL. See you then. All right.